Uh, the other day I read one of those sad but true sort of bizarre stories that come out of America every now and then. Uh, this one concerned an apartment block in New York City where the residents complained to the landlord that the lift, the elevator, was running too slow for them. So this is New York, remember. Uh, life in the fast line, time is money. And so the residents didn't want to have to sit around waiting for a lift to, for too long. Could you please make it run faster for us? Well, the owner was caught in a bit of a bind at this point, you see, because he didn't want to have to go to the expense, because it was going to cost a lot of money, to upgrade their lift. But neither did he want to run the risk of losing these tenants. He did a very shrewd thing. He took the cheaper option and installed mirrors on the wall in all the foyers where you wait for the lift. And the complaints stopped overnight. The reason being is that everyone was now too busy looking at themselves to notice that it was taking so long for the lift to arrive. They were so preoccupied with themselves that they just forgot about it. Sad but true. It's not a bad snapshot of our world and the me focus that is so much part of our culture. But nowadays we live with just a consumer mentality which means that it's all about things happening to serve us and things happening instantly to gratify us, things happening in a way that suits us. That's why when you're at the doctors, it is so frustrating when everyone else is spending so long in there but then when you go in to see the doctor, you want to spend as much time as possible. And it's so frustrating when you're at the line of the supermarket and all the other lines are moving faster than yours and you want to be in the fast lane. And you get annoyed when you are at home and you just want to watch TV but your spouse wants to have a deep and meaningful conversation. All those things are frustrating because our internal default setting is me first. And it's very easy for that sort of default setting to creep into our attitude to each other this morning. And that we come along here to early church with a consumer mentality. And our expectation is that things are going to happen here that uh, they'll suit us. And if they don't suit us over time, well then we'll just go somewhere else. And in our Bible time uh, this morning... We've reached a passage where Jesus is saying that we have got to resist that sort of thinking with all our might. Because you see, Jesus' kingdom runs not on a me-first principle. Jesus' kingdom runs on a you-first principle. And as such, the passage that we're having a look at this morning it carries on very closely from what we discovered last week in Mark's Gospel. See, hopefully you remember that last Sunday we uh, reached a very pivotal moment in Mark's Gospel where uh, at the centre of the book, Peter correctly identified Jesus as the Christ. After eight chapters of Jesus doing all these amazing uh, uh, miracles, after eight chapters of, showing, of Jesus showing his astounding authority that he has more authority than anyone else, that he has authority of God himself. After all of that, Peter correctly sees that Jesus is God's appointed king over all the earth. But hopefully you remember that there was also something about Jesus that Peter did not clearly see. He could see that Jesus was the Christ, but he couldn't see yet the type of Christ that Jesus came to be. And so Jesus began talking about being rejected and suffering, and even dying. All because Jesus, you see, in his thinking, he is a king who has come to serve his subjects by dying for them. 
And last Sunday, we discovered that this was a very big surprise for people like Peter, for for everyone. No one saw this development coming. No one was expecting a king, a Christ, who was actually prepared to die. Now, friends, in Mark's gospel, the surprises keep coming because what you discover in the second half of Mark's gospel is that having established this fact that Jesus is the Christ and having now established the unexpected fact that he's a Christ who intends to serve his subjects by dying for them, what happens now in the second half of Mark's gospel is that after all this build-up, it's built on by Jesus pointing out that, he, yes, he is a servant king and he has come to establish a kingdom of servants. And that if you want to follow Jesus, then just like Jesus, it's all about putting others before yourself. It's all about you first, not me first. And in this morning's passage, you see it in terms of a king who serves and a kingdom of servants. That's pretty much the flow of this passage. Firstly, a king who serves. And really a repetition of a lesson. Verse 32. They're on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus is leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. And he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him. An article in last week's paper made the observation that when George Bush arrived in Australia for APEC conference, it took him approximately 15 minutes from the time he first popped his head out of Air Force One to hop in the nuclear bomb-proof limousine, to drive through the Sydney roads that had been all blocked off to every other bit of traffic. From his plane to the hotel, it took President Bush a little under 15 minutes. And the paper was comparing that to what it would take you and I to do the same. That as you stand up on the plane in a a crowd of people and wait to queue off. And then you stand in line at customs and then you wait for a bus or a taxi and then you sit in traffic and then you maybe queue at the hotel check-in desk. George Bush, been under 15 minutes. You and I, we're talking two or three hours. And the paper was saying that is the way the world works. We are in a world where important people get preferential treatment. With Jesus, it's the opposite. Jesus is making a trip from heaven to earth. And how is he going to be treated? Verse 34, mocked, spat on, flogged, killed. Man, why would you go anywhere that's going to treat you like that? And yet he comes. This is the third time, in fact, Jesus has mentioned this. Last week we noticed it in chapter 8. He actually mentions it again in chapter 9, here again in chapter 10. It's as if not a chapter goes by that Jesus doesn't drop this into the conversation because it is just so surprising that not just a world leader but the world leader would be prepared to go through this. But here's the crunch in the Bible time this morning. The crunch is because Jesus is not simply a king who serves. He is, in fact, a king who is bringing in a whole kingdom of people who serve. And here, when a couple of disciples come and ask him for a favour, he sees the opportunity to spell this out. Verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Interesting question. It's framed from the perspective, is it not, that James and John are the important ones. See that? We want you to do whatever 
we want? In many ways, this is exactly the question of this world. That's the question of a me-first world. Jesus, we want you to do what we want. Verse 36. Well, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, friends, that is a stunning request. The right and left are positions of privilege, or the more positions of privilege when royalty is involved, or the more when the Christ is involved. I mean, think about it. James and John are asking for a share in the rule of Jesus. They are asking for a, a, a preeminent share in the authority of, of Jesus' reign over all the earth. This is no small thing they're putting on Jesus. The other disciples, uh, they, they certainly see that in verse 41. They're pretty narked about the whole thing. Perhaps they're jealous. They didn't think of asking for it first. But they're at least scared that they're going to be left out of the cold here. James and John, they're going to be in the limelight. They're going to be the inner circle and the others are going to miss out. And so now there is tension running through the disciples. The other day a bloke was telling me about his family who have degenerated into a, into a, squ a squabbling rabble arguing about their grandmother's will. The poor lady's not even dead yet, but the family are churned up about who is going to get what and when. That's the disciples. They're churned up about who's going to get what and how much in the kingdom of God, and that's the sort of thing that happens in a me-first world. Jesus sees the opportunity to teach them that his kingdom is not like that, and he does it in two stages. Firstly, verse 40. To sit at my right or left, that's not for me to grant. These positions belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now I want to pause just on that phrase for a moment because that's an intriguing thing for Jesus to say, don't you reckon? Think about it. Here is the Son of God himself. Here is the one by whom and through whom all the world has been made. And Jesus is saying, well, that's not up for me to decide. That's an extraordinary statement. Now, if it's not up to him to decide, who is it? He's God. But here, as in many places, Jesus is referring to the fact that he will only ever do and he will only ever say the things that his father wants him to do and say. It's like that song we just sung. Despite the fact that he, was equally, that he is equally God, despite the fact that Jesus has amazing authority and power as the Son of God, despite the fact that he has the right to do and know stuff, he doesn't exercise the right. He empties himself and submits to his heavenly Father. He relies on God the Father for his information. He relies on God the Father for his power. It's quite stunning humility. Not the sort we're used to. Me first sort of world. This world is all about standing up for your rights. This world is all about, what about me? It isn't fair. I've done my bit. I want my share. This world is all about getting everything we're entitled to out of the system. Sometimes even to ridiculous levels. Uh, again, in the United States, true story of a fellow who bought some very expensive premium cigars. So valuable were these cigars that the guy decided to take out an insurance policy on them. Well, over time, this bloke eventually smoked all these expensive cigars and then he had the bright idea that maybe he could claim on his insurance policy for them because the policy covered damage by fire. He'd smoke them. They'd been damaged by fire. He's got a right to claim. 
Well, as you would expect, the insurance company refused to pay and as these things do, they went to court. The scary thing is that the court decided in favour of the bloke and ordered the insurance company to pay up, which they did. And then they immediately turned around and sued him for arson. See, that is the world we live in. It's all about our desires and what we can get out of other people. It's every man for himself. And so you stand up for your rights and you play the system and you push and you shove and that is so not Jesus. To sit at my right hand or my left, that's not for me to grant. He has equality with God. He has the right to be in on the decision making. He doesn't exercise it. And it's from that framework that he now leads on to his main lesson to the disciples because not only are they asking him for something that, that, he, uh, that he's emptied himself of and, he's, and he won't do because he's submitted to, to his father, all this is showing that they don't understand the first thing about the sort of kingdom that this king has come to bring in. Verse 42. You know that those who regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Friends, here in a nutshell is the take-home lesson for this morning. Kingdom of God, it runs on servanthood. Kingdom of God, it runs on putting others before ourselves. Kingdom of God runs on you first. Kingdom of God runs on being a slave of all. All. Not just the attractive ones, not just the ones you get on with, not just the ones that you connect and they're pleasant to be around, being a slave of all. And no one, no one exemplifies that better than Christ. Verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, give his life as a ransom for many. Think about it. As soon as his life on earth began, Jesus never stopped serving people. This is the God of all the universe and he gets pushed out of the womb of a teenage girl. The voice that spoke and all creation came into being, that voice now has to cry from a manger in able to get some attention. And then when he grows up, he gets pushed and shoved. He's forever being walked up to by complete strangers and asked for favours. He's forever being misunderstood and not taken seriously. He is spat on, he is flogged, he is jeered, he is nailed to a cross, he is bleeding and gasping for his own breath. This is the king of kings. And he is the servant of servants. For if ever there was someone who, was, who deserved to cry out, what about me? It isn't fair. I've done my bit. I want my share. If ever there was someone who could, who could have sung that song, it was Jesus on the cross. And he didn't. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. 
And friends, in so doing, our King Jesus perfectly exemplified what his kingdom is all about. It runs on serving other people before ourselves. It runs on being a slave of all. It runs on giving up your rights, even, even though they're rightfully yours, but not calling on them anyway so as to help others. Because in the kingdom of God, greatness is not measured by how many people serve you. Greatness is measured by how many people you are serving. And so in the kingdom of God, greatness is measured by looking at who's standing by themselves over morning tea in a couple of minutes, making sure that they're welcome, actively listening to someone and hearing what they are saying to you rather than just simply thinking of what you are going to say next in the conversation. Greatness is measured by serving through making every effort in our speech to only say things that is helpful for the other person to hear. Greatness is measured by perhaps missing your favourite telly program this week because that is the only night that you can get out to help that person who's going through some troubles. Greatness might be measured in taking the trouble to babysit someone's children so that they can be involved in a small group, visiting someone in a nursing home to read the Bible to them, doing the sea change course so that you'll better understand the Bible and therefore be better equipped to help serve the other people in your small group. Serving people by perhaps making food for the youth convention next weekend. Helping out evening church by looking after their kids for their weekend away. Friends, greatness in the kingdom of God is, is measured through service, through inconvenience. And can I say that if you are not being inconvenient, uh, inconvenienced by the other people in this room if you are not being inconvenienced by the other people in this room, it probably shows that you're not serving them. All that shows that you're just selfishly fitting everyone else in around your own agenda and timetable. And that is so not what the kingdom of Jesus is all about. Friends, let's be creative. Let's be attentive to how we can serve each other. And look, if you are one of those precious people of early church who get here early and leave late, who are always looking out to be hospitable and care for people, if you are one of those precious people who are serving, good on you. You are a wonderful encouragement and keep at it because won't it be terrific at the end of our lives? Won't it be wonderful for our servant king to put his arm around us and look us in the eye and say, I'm so glad you're here. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'll pray. Father, thank you so much that, that your son did not come to be served but to serve us. Father, thank you that when they hurled their insults and mocked him, he did not retaliate, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Father, thank you so much for our servant king. And Lord, our request is that we would excel at being servants within his kingdom. Father, help us to be prepared to be inconvenienced for each other, 
out of love, out of gratitude. And thank you for reminding us of these rich things this morning from your word. Amen.